Hi everyone, it's Meredith. As you may or may not know, we've been recording these episodes from our respective homes since March, which sometimes means the audio quality isn't great because maybe, for example, an AC is left on. So this is a friendly warning that you may hear the aforementioned AC in the beginning of this week's episode, which was later turned off, but AC or no AC, our answers to your questions are the same, so we hope you enjoy. everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nast Traveller. I'm Lale Arikoglu and with me, as always, is my co-host Meredith Carey. Hello! We kicked off the summer, a very weird summer, with a frequently asked questions episode. But a lot has changed since then, so we're back to answer even more questions about travel, COVID and COVID and travel together. We're joined by Stephanie Wu, Traveller's Director of Articles and Associate Editor Megan Spirell, whose voices I'm sure you're all very familiar with by now. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. So our first question this week comes from at Global Exposures Photography, a.k.a. Molly. And it's actually a question that we got from a number of people. And it's what strategies or steps do we recommend for planning future trips? I mean, I can't be the only one, but I'm greatly looking ahead to 2021. Not that I think some magical switch will be flipped, but just I think the ability to look ahead and anticipate and know that at the very least next summer will hopefully be very different from this summer that we've just had is, you know, very much something that's that's keeping me afloat. Um, but my number one tip for planning future trips is really to think longer term. If you can, we've all been cooped up so much that I think it's really beneficial to try and take longer trips. Um, not only does that work in the favor of the place that you're visiting, they always appreciate when visitors stay for longer, but also, frankly, you'll save money if you can take a longer trip. So many hotels are offering stay a third night free or fourth night free, which you can take advantage of booking now. And also really just think about not just booking flight and hotel in advance, but working through the logistics. Are you going to feel safer in a rental car? Are you going to try and go to different destinations or cities on one trip? And what are some of the must-dos that maybe in next summer will still require advanced reservations. Um, Should you be adjusting your dates, for instance, to kind of make sure that the things you really, really need to do will have availability at that point? Steph, this sounds like a really obvious question, but when you say longer trips, how long are you talking? At least a week. I think if you're getting on a plane, try and aim for two. Um, It just will make, I think, everything easier if you're not trying to hop around and be in a lot of destinations for short amounts of time. And I think also as we talk about what we've been doing this year, it's been a lot of shorter trips, maybe staycations or small drives, things that feel a little more doable. And so next year, when you look at planning out your vacation days, it also might be really healthy and good to take a full week off of work or maybe even two weeks if that's an option for you, just to like really get a break beyond you know, what will happen in the destination. Something I would suggest when you're looking at travel for next year is trying to plan a trip that is either mostly refundable or reschedulable. And a way to do that is um, working with a travel specialist that might have better interpersonal relationships with a hotel or tour operators and might be able to get you a little bit more wiggle room than you would if you were booking straight through 
an online travel agent like Expedia or something like that, which has pretty strict, non-flexible rules as far as refunds and rescheduling. And I think a lot of tour operators are going to be a little more flexible with the rescheduling side, maybe not the refund, but if you do need to push your trip, I think what we're seeing is a lot of people might be more flexible in doing that, knowing that you will be going with them and will be spending your money with them eventually. I think that's also an interesting point, avoiding using third-party platforms like Expedia, which is that when I think of them, I think, think of using them when I want to be spontaneous and I'm trying to find a last minute cheap flight and looking ahead to 2021, I don't think it's going to be the year of spontaneity. It's going to be the year of planning. Um, So reserve maybe looking for those deals for 2022 or onwards. I think my rule of thumb is really that, you know, if it's something that you can't figure out easily on the internet, go to an expert. Like they will be able to keep tabs on ever-changing rules and regulations and keep you posted as opposed to you having to theoretically set a Google alert for every single activity you want to do. And I was just going to say, I think like for me, planning has been such a hard thing, even though when you're taking a trip now, you have to think through so much of it, like actually committing to it, even when it's refundable is just like this mental block that I've had. But I think because we're not traveling spontaneously now, it's such a great time to just at least start really reading about the places you know you want to go when we can travel again. Like I have just read up on destinations in a way I never did before. And I think even that feels like an active way of getting ready to take a trip before you commit to anything. That's really productive. And I think there are ways kind of if you set yourself a timeline, we have one on the site that we'll link in the show notes um, for planning a trip maybe a year out so that you can really think through and make sure you're not missing any major steps or forgetting anything um, because we might all be a little rustier when it comes to planning trips next year, especially big trips since most people will have not done one in the past year. Okay, so moving on to the next question, um, Akila sent us a message saying that her study abroad had been cancelled. She's graduating in 2021 and she's not quite sure what to do, given that study abroad is probably off the cards for her right now. Um, And I'm interested to know, especially given that a few of us on this episode have done study abroad themselves, how she can try and recreate that experience for herself after graduation or find other ways to kind of get the benefits that she'd hope to get from study abroad? Um, First of all, I just want to jump in and say, Akila, you're definitely not alone. We just did a huge story about how um, COVID-19 has shifted study abroad and all of the students who kind of lost out on this, you know, semester long opportunity that they were really looking forward to. So first of all, take solace in the fact that many, many others are feeling this way. Um, what I would consider doing is traveling the summer after graduation and whether that means like a longer, you know, multi-month train trip through Europe or two week trips to multiple destinations. Think about like what part of study abroad most excited you. Were you looking forward to learning a new language? Were you looking forward to meeting new people or immersing yourself in a new culture or eating baguettes and cheese every day like I did, um, and use that to really recreate your own trip with or without guidance from kind of, you know, you could theoretically take your original study abroad plan and use it to like modify it a bit if that educational element interests you. But I would go back to the priorities and use that to rethink your summer after graduation, which I think we can all agree is a really ideal time to travel. And for those who didn't, probably a, a source of regret. 
you know, I studied abroad and it was so rewarding for me that I ended up after graduation wanting to do another stint living in another country. And I chose to teach English, which I think is a thing that a lot of people do. And one of the easiest ways to kind of get to move to another country for a few months and live there, create a routine, be working. And so I'd also explore programs like that if you feel like the structure of something you're kind of signing up for and being guided through is is what you're looking for. Something else that Ashley Halpern, who reported that story that Steph mentioned, wrote about was that a lot of schools are pivoting to classes that are online or maybe in person that have a travel component. So you wouldn't be traveling and doing a study abroad through the whole semester, but you might be able to do a class that has, you know, a two-week, three-week, four-week end segment that is traveling um, depending on what is safe to do at the end of the semester. So as you get into your second semester of your senior year, which usually is a little lighter on your schedule, you might want to look and see what classes, maybe even outside of your major, offer that travel component because that might be more feasible and maybe a little more reliable than going abroad for a whole semester. I think also just you know, it's it's hard right now when it feels like our entire lives are somewhat on hold. But study abroad when you're at college is not the be all and end all. And it does not mean that you won't get lots of opportunities to travel in the future. I applied to a study abroad program that had very limited places when I was in college and I did not get onto it. And I was absolutely devastated and felt like I had lost out on this once in a lifetime opportunity. And I ended up spending so much of my life since I graduated traveling and seeing new places. I even moved abroad. Like, you know, so so remember that like this isn't the be all and end all and think about how you want to incorporate travel into your life post-graduation as you're starting to think about what that life could look like. So there wasn't a name attached to this, but it's at NK Rich asked, uh, where would you recommend for a pet friendly getaway this fall? and she wants to go on a road trip. My first thought is, uh, I don't know where you live, so I cannot give you a very specific place, but there are tons of amazing hotels, ones that you probably wouldn't expect to be pet friendly, like The Line, which do offer special amenities for your pets. And then when you're also looking at maybe getting outside, not staying at a hotel, um, getaways and collective retreats, uh, which are probably two separate ends of kind of the glamping spectrum, are both pet friendly. And there's probably one near you because there are getaways pretty much everywhere. So that would be where I would start if I was planning a road trip with my pets. And it really depends on how outdoorsy you're feeling. I feel like this time has pushed a lot of people to camp and do things that might have not been something they were interested in before. Um, But we also just put up a story about camping with dogs. And there are a lot of, you know, you can find lodges, like, like if you want to camp, you can camp in a national park. You just want to make sure you look up the restrictions beforehand on which allow dogs. Um, But you can also, you know, like Meredith said, kind of find something that's a little more in the middle, like hip camp. Um, They have, you know, campsites, but they have a little more amenities uh, than like your standard tent on the ground situation. Um, And in this story, one of the places we talk about is like, even though most national parks don't allow dogs in developed areas, um, Acadia National Park in Maine, which I know at least two of us on this call have been to in the past month and loved, has over 100 miles of pet-friendly trails. You can kind of, if you do your research, you can find a lot of places that you can take your dog with you. 
And to that point, I was in Acadia National Park with a couple of friends earlier this summer and we took their nine-month-old puppy, Dolly, um, who got to go on the trails for the first time. It's very momentous. And we stayed in a pet-friendly Airbnb. So also when you're looking at where to stay, remember that Airbnb lists places that are friendly and you can just you know put the filter on and research it that way. So that's always an option. If you're like me and need something a little bit more full service, I would recommend looking for a Kimpton Hotel, which has many outlets spread around the country and they're incredibly pet friendly. They like welcome you with a little like pet amenity kit and they have quite a few new hotels opening, including one in um, Deep Ellum, Dallas, which I know Meredith is super familiar with. But those will provide a little bit more service than, of course, your camping or outdoors focused type trips. And I will say additionally, in the Texas realm, naturally have to shout out one more place in Texas. Um, Austin has tons of outdoor dining and outdoor activities and lots of places are very dog friendly, lots of businesses, restaurants, bars, things like that. Um, And there are also tons of trails around the lake. So if you're looking for a more urban destination that's better in the fall, because right now, as we record this, it's probably too hot, but maybe in a month you will be good. Austin's a great place to take dogs. So when we were doing outreach to figure out what questions we wanted to ask during this podcast, a dear friend of mine, Aria, reached out to me who recently lost her dad. And she shared that her mom is obviously recently widowed and she loves to travel, but she's scared now to do it on her own. And she wanted to know what advice she could give to her mom to get back out and do something that she really enjoys by herself. Megan, I know that you have written about this in the past. What advice would you give to Aria's mom? Um, So this is something my mom went through nearly a decade ago. And I think after losing a partner, especially someone you've traveled with a lot, it can feel like intimidating to do anything by yourself, whether it's having dinner or um, going to events. I think that was something she really struggled with. And I think what helps her and what we talk about in the story and what could help your mom is, first of all, speaking to people who have gone through a similar experience and understanding that it's there's there are some common experiences there. And I think knowing that other people do move on from these losses by getting back out there, trying to regain confidence and kind of establishing a new sense of self and doing things like travel that can be really empowering and kind of show you that there's more ahead. And so I think the story can be a start for her to hear other, um, hear from women who have done things like this and gotten back out there. And I also think if there are other people in your community or that you know of, or friends of friends, especially friends of friends, mothers who have done this kind of thing, putting her in touch with those people to start talking about how she might want to get back out there um, is really helpful. And in the story, there are some examples, but I think maybe it starts with you guys doing a trip that's you and her going somewhere. And that's sort of her transition to starting to do trips on her own. Um, Or maybe you do a family trip and then the next one is just two people and eventually she's more comfortable doing her own thing. But you know, another way to tackle it is by having her join a group trip when that becomes a thing we can do again. It's a great way to feel like you're not totally um, by yourself. And I, I know like small cruises can be a way to do that, but there's some really good ideas from women in that story that I would definitely recommend her uh, looking into as a way to, to start thinking about travel again. And Megan, I think the point you make about easing yourself into whether it be solo travel or a new way of traveling is really important. Um, you know, I think on this podcast, we have used the example of taking yourself out for dinner alone more times than I can count at this point. But I think 
allowing yourself to just kind of dip your toes in and see how you feel and like find your comfort level is really important. And Megan, your suggestion of the two of them maybe taking a trip together is a really good one. And perhaps, you know, if your mum feels up to it, suggest to her to tack on a day either at the beginning or the end of the trip by herself so that she can get that experience of traveling alone, but know that it's not a full commitment and that if she doesn't enjoy it, she knows that you're going to meet up after 24 hours, 48 hours. And who knows, maybe she'll get to the end of that first day and think, wow, I wish I had like another week by myself exploring. So yeah, baby steps. Yeah, I agree with what you guys are saying. You know, so much of travel can be so intimidating and it's not just the like, air travel portion of it, which, you know, can be anxiety inducing even when we're not in a pandemic, but it's getting to a, a potentially foreign destination or a new, a completely new place. So some trips I would think about are, are there family members or friends who live elsewhere in the country that she can go and visit as a first step? You know, that's certainly a type of travel where once you get there, the comfort level comes back because of who you know in the destination. Or is there a place where she used to live that she's, you know, interested in revisiting or a potentially, you know, a, a destination she visited before um, before she even knew your father? So I think coming up with the destination is just as important as the baby steps that um, your mom will be taking to get there. And um, moving on to a question from Joanna, who got in touch with us to say that she is considering something that I think quite a few people in the US might be thinking about right now. Um, she's a single woman in her late 20s with no kids and likes the idea of moving somewhere new. Um, and with that in mind, wanted to know if we had any suggestions for a country that is relatively safe. Um, and she also specifies a good public healthcare system and gender equality um, for her to move to. And um, she's particularly interested in the European Union. I can tell that she's already spent a lot of time thinking about this. And like Lolly said, I'm sure there are a lot of other people who are thinking more seriously about relocating, whether that's because they would like to go somewhere new, are able to do so through work, don't feel comfortable being here anymore, which is also a fair reason um, to want to move out of the country. And I know we did the Digital Nomad episode earlier in the summer, um, which has some tips on just kind of figuring out what might work for you. But one place that I will recommend, even though it is not technically in the European Union, um, is Georgia. They have always had a year-long visa-free program where you could stay for a year um, and you didn't have to worry about getting a visa to be able to stay there. But they, like a lot of other places in the Caribbean, are going to be offering a remote working visa starting, I think, at the end of this year or early next year, um, which is going to make it really easy for people to relocate there and be able to either keep their current jobs or find a new job that lets them work remotely and post up in Georgia. And I would say the key factors that would make me want to tell you to go to Georgia beyond just the visas is that it's absolutely gorgeous. There's amazing wine. There's amazing food. You have easy access to all of Europe. You're also at the crossroads of Asia, so you can go literally every direction and find an amazing weekend away. And to me, it just seems like a great place to, to park it. It sounds like an adventure. It's exactly right. 
another thing a lot of people are talking right now is getting a second passport, you know, depending on where your parents or even your grandparents are from. And I think in some cases, your great grandparents, you can apply for either residency or a passport or even citizenship in different countries that will allow you to live and work there um, based on your heritage. And it obviously varies a ton by country. But I think, I mean, if you know what your heritage is, you can explore those. And even if you are one of those people like me who doesn't really know exactly where people are from, all I'll say is 23andMe and those companies are up and running again, even though it feels wild to send your saliva to someone these days. And I know of people who have done one of those, found out they're like Italian enough to apply for an Italian passport. And that can open a lot of doors. And I think in a lot of um, in parts of Latin America and Europe, especially, if you're able to get your hands on one passport for one country, it opens doors to several countries in that region. So I, I would look into things like that as well, because I think one of the hardest things about moving abroad as someone who's done it before is that it is just so hard to get a visa and to have the right to work there. And I think now, while a lot of us are working from home, maybe you can keep your same job and go there, but there are time limits on when you can be there. And I think, I mean, Georgia sounds great to me, but also if you want to just have more places to look, I would suggest that. But some countries even have, like I I know in Peru, for example, if you just live there for two years, you can then apply for a passport. So it's the same if you've married someone or if you have heritage or if you just show up and you are there for two years. So I think, you know, look at the places you're really interested in being and then take it from there. Joanna, you asked about healthcare systems and gender equality within countries that we might suggest. And, you know, I'm not going to speak to countries that I have not lived in in terms of their sort of quality of life. But I would also think about whether this is a long-term move or a short-term move, because I think you're going to have to weigh up those things differently. You know, I moved to the US not necessarily thinking I was going to be here for as long as I have been. And I don't know, maybe I would have thought a little bit more about the healthcare system if I'd known. <laughs> so I would, I would really take some time to think about whether it's a long-term trip or a shorter one. And if it is a shorter one, maybe then it's about thinking more about geography and where you want to use as a home base to then explore other parts of the world. And especially if you are going to be working remotely and you can kind of hop around a little bit more. Yeah, I think doing that research on visa limits is going to be really helpful in the case that you can't get a work visa and do need to, you know, instead of moving permanently to one place, if you need to, for instance, spend three months in one place and then three months in another, um, having that information about where you'll be allowed in with your American passport, assuming you are an American, is very helpful. And then my other tip is just, you know, if you are thinking about this so strongly right now and clearly have already done the research, um, I would start thinking about languages and either practicing, you know, taking online language courses now, or perhaps you um, feel an affinity to Spanish and therefore want to go to Spanish speaking countries. Um, things like that can kind of make the trip a little bit easier to plan as opposed to, you know, having all of Europe as your oyster. In our second to last question, Maria on Instagram asked how we are all balancing the desire to travel and support the travel industry with staying safe, both for ourselves and the community that we're traveling to and, you know, keeping the spread of COVID-19 at bay. What are you guys thinking about that? I mean, I think that's <laughs> the question right now. Um, I think I, I don't have an answer, and I'm not sure anyone does, on like the sweet spot between, you know, doing the things you want, which is traveling, and 
and making sure everyone stays safe because even when you do your best to prevent the spread, I mean, people get sick or pass it or whatever. So I think what I can say is that, you know, we did an advice column this week actually about feeling guilty for wanting to travel. And I think the first thing I would say is just that if you want to travel, you can find a way to travel and to like get that escape that you need and just try and be as safe as possible while doing it. So obviously there's certain things that like the CDC says not to do or states say you cannot do. Um, and there's many international travel restrictions and you want, you need to like follow those. But I think beyond that, it's about figuring out like what exactly do you need? So is it just that you really need a break from your routine, which is stressful, or is it that you're trying to see a new place because you're just like craving stimulation and newness, like figure out what it is. And then I think just try and find the safest way possible to do that. Um, for that advice call, we spoke to an epidemiologist who just like basically said, ultimately, if you want to travel, if that's the thing you need to do, it's just about finding a safe way to do it. Like there's no, yes, you can, no, you can't, you can travel this much. There's no definitive answer and there's not going to be, and this is going to probably be the case for a while. So you kind of have to navigate within that with all the information you can find to make your best judgment and a choice you feel good about. Honestly, I think one of the hardest things for me personally this year has just been the lack of guidance and the lack of overall messaging around safety and what it means and how you can be safe and keep others safe. And so one of the things I've really been thinking about when planning future travel is kind of just coming up with my own personal code of conduct, essentially, that helps me like make decisions based on that. So whether that means voluntarily quarantining until you get a negative COVID test when you get to a new destination, or whether it means, you know, like I mentioned earlier in this podcast, staying just in one place and not moving around too much. There are a lot of ways that you can kind of mitigate risk and stay comfortable with your own decisions while, like Megan was saying, getting to do the things that you want to do, especially when it comes to travel. I think that phrase personal code of conduct is really important because it's not a one size fits all. Everyone's personal circumstances are different. You may be living alone, not high risk and able to really kind of go anywhere. Or you may be having to think about elderly family members or young children in your life or a high risk partner. And so everyone is going to have to assess a different set of factors. And so I think really thinking about what's right for you and the people around you and cutting through the noise is really important right now. And I think specifically when you're talking about supporting the industry, obviously taking a trip and spending the amount of money that you would spend on a vacation is going to be different than what you can do if you're at home. But if you have a favorite hotel, a favorite restaurant, a favorite bar that you visited before that you would like to exist for you to visit again, I would look and see if they have any staff GoFundMes or if they have merch or um, if the restaurants are shipping meal boxes and things like that, ways that you can spend your money from home and maybe wait on the travel part um, and really focus on using your money to best support the industry, support the human beings that you love to see when you travel and make sure that they're still around, you feel comfortable whether that's tomorrow or a year from now to travel. I think there's a lot of ways to check in with the places you love to make sure that they are supported. Or even a combination of that, right? Where you can purchase a gift certificate that allows them to have cash now, but you can spend that gift certificate at a later time on a future stay. I think that's a wonderful balance and a good way, frankly, to know that your money is going exactly where you want it to go. 
And I think to that point, we launched our ethical traveller column a couple of weeks ago and the first piece we ran in it is all about how to be a mindful hotel guest. And one thing that stayed with me was a quote from an hotel owner who said, just knowing that they have guests who are booking for 2021 or even just inquiring about trips in six, 12 months time is a real boon for them to know that they will have that business coming back. So to go back to um, how to plan for travel, if you are thinking about traveling for a big trip in a year's time or you know for some time next year, that's a really good way of showing your support already, even if you're grounded for now. I think as the holidays come up, that is going to be such a great gift too. Like something I'm thinking about giving people is those gift cards to their favorite restaurant in their hometown or a place they love. Because I also think a lot of us are anxious or uncomfortable with the fact that we don't have trips planned. But so that can be a way too to help the people around you start having something to look forward to. And I think kind of like supporting your own city, if you happen to live in a tourist destination, is helping the travel industry because while for you it may not be traveling for lots of other people in the future it will be travel and to make sure that those cities are thriving in the ways that they can bounce back after this is really important too. So speaking about holidays this is not a specific question that we've gotten from a listener but it's something that basically our whole staff has been talking about which is What does traveling for the holidays look like this year Um, with Thanksgiving and Christmas being so close together? What are people doing? How are they safely traveling, seeing their family who they might not have seen in a year or waiting for a later date? What do they look like? So I think that just based on what we've seen from Labor Day weekend travel, you know, travel interest is essentially at an all-time high since the pandemic began and more people than ever were thinking about traveling during Labor Day and theoretically future holidays. So that, to me, says it's safe to assume that, frankly, we're going to see a holiday rush this year. It might not be as big as last year, but there's no doubt in my mind that there will be a spike in travelers, there will be a spike in air travel, there will be a spike in TSA numbers. Um, so some tips I, I've been thinking about as I plan my own holiday travel are how can I you know, fly on weekdays or fly on off-peak travel days to kind of not be there on the busiest day with the most amount of people in um, a small indoor space. Um, Planning ahead to maybe, you know, going really early or coming back really late are all things that you can do to make sure that you aren't kind of essentially crushed in a crowd, which is really, to me, the hardest part of thinking about holidays is just the amount of people that will be moving around. As always, if you can drive, that tends to be the safer bet during this time of year. But, you know, we don't know like how crowded the roads will be either. So I think my biggest takeaway is start planning now. Labor Day just ended right now as we're recording this episode, but it's not too early to start making concrete um, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's plans. And someone on our team, when we recently spoke about this, brought up an idea that I have fallen in love with and keep talking, like suggesting to everyone, but it's this idea that like, we are so bound to this, you know, end of November Thanksgiving time that we all rush home and compete for the same very expensive flights, which is all like in a normal year, just ridiculous. And then we do the same thing less than a month later. And does it have to be that way? Like I, first of all, Thanksgiving, the date, like, do you have to celebrate on that day as a reason to get together with family? 
You don't. And so maybe you go home at the beginning of November and that's the time that you get your family together. And it's, I know it's, you know, we can get caught up with our lives and it can be hard to make everyone come to one place and kind of snap out of their routines for a minute. But you could use those times this year as a reminder to plan something like maybe your December holiday is actually in, in January, February this year. But I think we don't have to be so bound to it, especially since many of us are not working in person these days and probably won't be through the end of the year. Like take advantage of that flexibility and you can try and avoid the crowds. I think like if, if going home and being with people is important, that could be another way to do it. I think on that note of flexibility, while we're all kind of working from home, go back for longer. Don't just go home, you know, again, everyone has different different tolerance levels with their families. Um, so very personal. But, you know, maybe it's go home for three weeks, go home for a month if you feel like that's feasible. You'll, when are you ever going to have that opportunity again? So I say grab it. And I would also say when you're looking at going home for that long and maybe you aren't comfortable staying with your family for that long, a lot of Airbnbs, hotels, like Steph said, are offering discounts for longer stays. So you might be able to find relatively cheap accommodations during that time as well. So you might have a little bit of space from your family if you are staying for a longer amount of time to also give you a workspace so that you can work there as well. I am planning to go home for much longer this year than I would have otherwise, um, both in an effort to make sure that I have time to quarantine and all of those sorts of things, but also so that I'm flying less um, because like Megan said, that's four flights in basically a month when we're trying to stay home as much as possible right now. So if you can make it a flight there and a flight back for the whole, like the whole shebang, um, see what you can do. Obviously, like Steph said, we're, you know, at the end of our main holidays for the summer and those are our next up major upcoming holidays. So start talking to your manager now about what options you have for taking vacation days or just working remotely so that, you know, you're not trying to get in with everybody else in November who's like, oh, shoot, I want to be gone for a month. As we said years ago on the podcast, <laughs> talk to your manager early. And start talking to your family now, because maybe you're all thinking the same way about like, why does it have to be the same five, six weeks that everybody's traveling in? And maybe there is a preference for early November, or maybe, you know, your family celebrates Lunar New Year, and therefore there might be interest in getting together around February. So if the key of the holidays, which it certainly is for me, is to see family members that you haven't seen in a long time, if everybody's in agreement about moving it to some other time, then there's really no reason not to. And can I just say something that I was thinking about earlier today? Frankly, I'm already looking forward to a much, much more low-key New Year's Eve than usual. I think it'll be a really nice break from kind of the big parties and the like huge crowds that gather no matter where you are. And I think it'll just be a really nice, like slower, quieter way to close out the year. <laughs> I have to say, I think I disagree. I've had slow and quiet <laughs> since March. I just want to go to a big old party. <laughs> I made the mistake of doing slow and quiet last year. And I was oh. like, you know what? I'm going to break. I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> but oh well, we'll get our rest. Um, well, we would love to hear how you are planning to travel through the end of the year. So please let Lale or I know in our DMs. We'll share our social media in a second or contact Women Who Travel on Instagram because we're super curious how everyone's moving around. So let us know. Uh, Megan, where can people find you on the internet and ask you questions for the advice column if they want them? 
Please do. I'm at Sprelly on Instagram. You can find me there whenever. Please send me all of your questions, your thoughts, your genius ideas for the holidays. I want to hear it. Steph, how about you? You can find me at by Steph Wu. I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. And you can find me at Lale Hannah. And I want to clarify, I will not be attending a big old party at New Year's. <laughs> I will be having a slow, quiet one, but I'll be dreaming of the ones to come. Just watching Great Gatsby and imagining yourself. Imagining yourself exactly. there. Um, be sure to follow Women Who Travel on Instagram. Join our Facebook group if you would like more advice from amazing women. And uh, sign up for our newsletter, which will all be in the show notes. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.